Well, hello, Bible Love listeners. Great to be with you all today. Today, we are starting a a new um, book of the Bible, but we won't stay in it long because it's not a very long one. Um, But we thought we would pray um, our prayer today, um, a prayer that is in the book of Nehemiah. So the Lord be with you. Also with you. Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your prayers, before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. Amen. I got a little tongue tied there. Um, but that is from Nehemiah 1, verses 5 and 6. Um, and then it kind of gets into some tricky stuff. So talk to us. What do you think about Nehemiah and what you read today? We're going to do 1 through 7. Yeah. Is that right? First, yeah. Um, 1 through 7 is what we're getting through today. Next week, we'll do 8 through 13 for folks who are reading along with us. For people who watch on YouTube, I just need to point out we're actually recording these episodes back to back. Yeah. And so like we're going to be wearing the same clothes two weeks in a row. And so I actually never pay attention. Maybe I wear the same shirt every time we record, but I just thought about it. So if you wonder, Mary Balfour and I probably actually do have more than one outfit. Yeah. Um, And I think we should also, because a couple of people said something to us about it. Like we know there was some, um, issues with Alan's, um, internet and voice. And we think we've got that figured out. So that painfulness of not being able to understand Alan completely should be gone friends. So, but it is a good thing that you do most of the talking. (laughs) You're never going to let me let that one not be the case. Right. Okay, Nehemiah Nehemiah 1 through 7. So I think, you know, you start with the prayer, but we actually have to take a step back. As I read through this, right, Nehemiah, if you remember back to Ezra, they're out of exile. They're going back into Jerusalem, and they get there, and it is piles of rocks. So they come back, and and Nehemiah comes on the scene, um, and he sees this. And the first thing he does is, in verse 4, I sat down. And wept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And so he mourns. And so I think that, you know, we've talked some over these last couple of weeks in Ezra and Nehemiah about the current church, how we're walking back in from, you know, pandemic and all of that. And we ask the questions like, who are we now? What's happened? And all of that. Like, it's actually okay to sit down and weep over the things that won't ever happen again. Like, we're, we can weep over the fact that we aren't the church we were in February of 2020. Yeah, such a great point. And I'm really glad you brought that up too, not just with the pandemic, um, because that is certainly a place of grief, but, you know, pastoral care in churches kind of has its ups and downs, um, moments when there's like lots going on, moments where it feels like pretty quiet. I actually was um, having lunch with our favorite Dr. Tony yesterday, and he was like, I feel like I'm in kind of a quiet season. I was like, ooh, I feel like I'm not in a quiet season. Like, 
a lot of hip replacements, some really sick people. And I just had a good old cry on Sunday afternoon, um, some good old weeping um, about the amount of people I have that are really hurting and are sick right now. And some are dying and some are really afraid. And some family members are really afraid. Um, we have a funeral this week. You know, it's just really sad stuff sometimes and doesn't work out the way we want it. So seeing that Nehemiah sat and wept and mourned for days, for days, not just for a minute, for days and continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Again, brings me some comfort. I don't know, like that I'm not the only one that has to sit and and weep for days sometimes, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think about this. I've never said this. It was final as of last week. And so I'm divorced, right? Shocker if you didn't know that. My congregation knew. And so for those folks who listen, it was final last week. And every Sunday I pray um, anniversary blessings for folks. A prayer out of the prayer book from the wedding service. Mm. I was never more thankful that no one had anniversaries on Sunday. Oh, that was was a gift right there. Yeah, like I don't know that I would have been able to make it through that prayer without weeping, right? And please, I've cried in church a bunch, right? Like I served the Sunday after my dad died, all this stuff. Like I've cried in church. I have no problem doing that. But I think, right, like so as I read through this part of Nehemiah, that, of course, came to mind is, is like, you know, my relationship crumbled, whatever. Like it's okay to sit there and weep. But then... Nehemiah turns and kneels in prayer. So he goes from the sitting and weeping to kneeling and praying, right? And there he prays for like four months, basically. And so I think this gives us clues, both weeping for days, praying for months. God's work is is never quick. I mean, maybe it is sometimes. Very, very. It it never is in my life. No, I don't know that it is in a lot. Well, first of all, um, Alan, thank you for being vulnerable and sharing. Um, you know, I've known about this for a long time, but I'm glad that you're sharing with your listeners. And I appreciate that. And thank you, God, for not putting any anniversaries on that list on Sunday, because that would have been hard. I'll never forget the Sunday after I got married coming back and preaching and it was on divorce. And I was sitting there thinking, is this an omen to, to, to my marriage? But yeah, like, again, always we seem to sort of somehow can still connect right in 2022 with what was happening, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. Um, and so Nehemiah is this figure, right? He's He is... Um, God appoints him as a judge, as a leader, as a, um, the king appoints him as a judge and a leader, as a governor, um, someone who has some work to do, right? And the majority of the work he does is build this wall, right? Um, as you remember back to when Dr. Tony, um, was here, he said, Ezra and Nehemiah, the law and the wall, you know, um, and so Ezra really was into the law and Nehemiah is really into the wall. And that's what kind of happens in this whole time, but all in this idea of a covenant, all in that, um, which we've talked a lot about as well. I thought this was interesting. I'm at the very end of one where he says, now I was a cupbearer to the king. We've talked about this word cupbearer before. What do you think that means? Um, 
waiter. In a literal sense. And then also like in a figurative sense, it has different. Um, I think. Yeah. I mean, literally it's the guy who held the cup. Right. Um, But in a figurative sense, I think it's the guy who the King trusts with his life. Right. It's more than just holding a cup. You know, Um, I think about my Eucharistic ministers that serve with me on Sunday. They hold that cup, you know, they give communion. Um, I think I've told this story before. My friend Daniel Strandlin and I were the, um, Oh, it's, oh, the flagon bearers, you know, at, when we were in seminary, um, at the big graduate, you know, all our job was to do was to hold the flagon, hold the wine, you know, but it gave us a job. It gave us trust, trust. We were part of that team. And, um, there's something about that. Every time my Eucharistic ministers are like, Oh my gosh, given this communion, I feel like so honored. Um, and so I was kind of thinking about them when I read that this, they're, it, you know, like Nehemiah, they're cup bearers. Yeah. I'm not the king, but, um, you know, they're cup bearers. But like, I mean, I wish I had someone that went around tasting my food to make sure no one poisoned it. Yeah. That, that would be nice. And so there it makes me wonder, like, does the king really, really trust Nehemiah? And so, yeah. like, or does he actually not care about Nehemiah? And if this guy kicks it because he drank some poison. It's all going to be well. Did you know, I read a novel this summer. I think we might have talked about this with Tony. I'm not sure, but I read this novel this summer about this woman who worked for Hitler, and that was her job. The, the, the novel was called The Taster. So all her job was was to taste um, Hitler's food because he was so afraid of being poisoned, which he should have been afraid of. But, you know, like this, this was what her job was, you know, and it was fascinating to listen to. Um, and so man, I, when we were talking about this with Tony, I kept thinking, this is like that book, The Taster, you know, that's who he is. But somebody's got to do that. Somebody's got to care for people. Somebody's got to tend for people, you know, and Nehemiah kind of has this servant's heart in some way. You know, he's that guy that does that. Yeah. And I think the king recognized that. And so, you know, we've established like Nehemiah sat down and wept, then he kneeled down to pray. And then none of those take short amounts of times, like weeping for days, praying for months. And then all of a sudden he goes to the king, this person who trusts, there's this mutual thing there. He's like, let me do this. And so he stands up to work, right? Like, because the weeping and the praying, that's fine. But not like in the Christian life, we don't just pray about things. I think it's Michael Curry that says, um, yeah, I'm going to butcher the quote, but on Sunday we kneel in prayer, but on Monday we get up and march. That's right. I don't think you butchered it. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's actively doing. What do we do? What do we go out and do? The prayer is super important, but we got to do some stuff too. We got to make it happen. And that's what they do. They do some stuff. They build this wall. <laughs> they, they're getting, we're, we're, we're still like getting our systems and our life kind of back into order. I mean, that's what's been happening in Ezra and now Nehemiah is establishing this this land, this region, this semblance of order, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, you're jumping ahead a little bit. Number, th- or number three, chapter three stood out to me. It's another list of names. We talked about yeah. names last week, I think. And, uh-huh. and this is basically the census of everyone who worked. Um, I did not count these up, but I read someone who counted them up. There's 38 names mentioned and 42 groups mentioned. Yeah. And Nehemiah is not one of them. Not one of them. Isn't that interesting? But the whole book is written about him. Yeah. And so I think about like the church, right? Like we've talked about this. You and I are rector, right? Whatever. The work here is not done by you 
at Resurrection or by me at St. Martin's. It's done by the 38 people in the 42 groups that make up our congregations. Yeah, so true. So true. The ones that were here before us and the ones that will be here afterwards. I think that's a great comparison of uh, maybe we'll get our own book of the Bible one day. Okay. Okay. Bishop, if you're listening, I'm not the one who said that. I know. I'm just teasing. Come on. All right. So in Nehemiah, that's what chapter three is about. And then when we get into chapter four, um, it's more about building the wall. And some of the folks were angry. Some of the Jews were angry. Some of the Israel, you know, they're all like, we got chaos again. There's more happening. Why can't we just have some like, even Stephen, nothing happening kind of stuff. But that's not the way the world works, right? I mean, it's still not the way the world works. Yeah. I mean, we'll see this even at the end of the book, right? Like they struggle through all this stuff right here and then they build it. They have this huge celebration. But then, spoiler, at the end of Nehemiah, like things fall apart again because like that's the nature of humanity. But here, you know, chapter four, you think it's it's opposition, right? And so we're coming up on Advent, right? And Christmas is coming up. And churches across the country are going to pl- pray for their copy machines the week right. of Christmas. Right. Because when crap goes wrong, it's because we're doing something right. So, right, like, you know, not sound evangelical, but the devil hates the Lord's business. Right. Yep. And so, like, when they're trying to do this and rebuild the city, right, the uh, enemy has some some words to say about that. Yep. And and I, even in here, you know, one thing that stuck out to me when the Israelites, they came back and they saw Jerusalem, they weeped over it, right? These are piles of stones and memories and all of this. Like they had this deep connection. And then one of the oppositions is these other people in chapter four, where is it? The end of verse two, um, the army of Samaria, they say, will they revive these stones out of the heap of rubbish, right? Mm-hmm. And so these enemies are belittling the Jewish people and their work, right? The Jewish people see these stones and see hope and the enemy's like, that's just rubbish. And then you read down in chapter 10, but now Judah, part of the people who've come back, they're listening to what the enemy is saying. And so then they say there is too much rubbish and there's too much work. Mm -hmm. And so like just hearing the enemy call what they have rubbish has changed their whole mindset. Right. They no longer see the hope in these stones that can be rebuilt. They just see piles of trash because someone told them it was piles of trash. Right. And isn't that how it can go for us? I mean, and even further down in that, like in 20, it somebody pumps them back up because it says our God will fight for us. But I do, I do think that's how life goes, right? We hear things, we hear media, we hear leaders, we hear things and we, and we just start taking it in and believing it, right? Instead of really like thinking about what is God trying to do for us or praying about it and um, weeping if we need to, as Nehemiah did, um, you know, we just take those things in and we believe them. Um, we all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. We all want to be, you know, and sometimes we hear things about ourselves that makes us not feel that way. And it sounds like that's exactly what's happening here. You know, it's, it's about rocks, but it's the same thing. Someone's saying they're nothing when really they, they could be something. They could be a wall. They could be something that protects people. They could be a safe space, a sacred space. 
So you think about, right, like in the education world, there's this idea of the growth mindset versus the limiting mindset. And so when you talk to kids, you know, I try to do this with my kids. Like, don't use absolute. Like, kids are not dumb. Kids are not scared. Kids are not, you know, these things. They may have moments where they don't get a good grade or where they're a little fearful or whatever. But whenever we use these words like, you are so... Mm-hmm. Like that imprints on kids and they hear themselves as I can't do it. I can't do yeah. it. I can't do it. Right. And, and I think the same is true for us. Like we hear whatever stories the world wants to tell us about ourselves. Right. That becomes part of our identity rather than hearing like what God says about us. We're beloved. We're redeemed. Right. Right. Why can't we be like strong in our, in our own selves without people taking that is like cockiness, you know? Um, I wonder about that a lot. Like this happened to me yesterday. I don't feel like I'm a good preacher. Like I, I, feel, I feel like I have a lot of gifts and talents, but preaching is not at the top of that. Alan is a good preacher and he'll tell you he's not, but he is a great preacher. But like, why do I feel like I have to say I'm not a good preacher? You know, you know, you, maybe that's not my best talent, but I don't have to diminish myself. And it's probably because one person said it to me one time and I've like kept it in my ears all those times, you know. Um, and that doesn't mean I'm not good at other things, you know, but I do think that we, we have those moments of where we hear those things and then we just keep them in our heads forever. And that's exactly what happened right here in Nehemiah. Okay. Do we want to keep going sure. in the interest of time? So. Yeah. Keep, you, you go. Yeah, Nehemiah 5. And I think we hinted at this before. Um, Nehemiah 5, they, they realize there's some bad things going on. Like the king is, is charged an exorbitant interest rate, usury, I think is how you pronounce that. Yeah. And then like one person can't change the mind of the powerful people. And so here, um, Nehemiah in chapter 5, verse 7 says, um, I called a great assembly to deal with them. Um, as far as we are able, we brought back our Jewish kindred who have been sold, but now you are selling your own kin and must then be bought back. So this idea that like, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago in community organizing, right? There's, there's a group I was involved in when I was in Columbia and their annual event is called the Nehemiah Action. Because yeah. they pick an issue, right? Like this year, they, they've picked an issue of food insecurity, I just saw. And so, like, one church can't solve food insecurity issue. One person certainly can't. But when you get two or 3,000 people in a giant room, and you have city and county leaders there, and all these people say, we want to, to figure this out, and we're willing to help, and here's some ideas and all of that, the people in charge, they look out, and they're like, that's not one person who has a complaint. That's like a voting block. Yeah. I'm cynical, right? They're responding to voters. Yeah. Um, and that they call that the Nehemiah action because it comes from here in, in Nehemiah five. One person's not going to change the king's mind, uh, but a whole lot of people can. And of course, God can. I love that. I love it. That's where they called. And also, um, I asked Alan before we started if he knew what the word Nehemiah means. And he goes, yes, I do. And I think we both just looked it up, but it's God comforts, right? And so this Nehemiah action that we're talking about is in South Carolina, right? Um, Is that what you said? Um, 
Or in Colombia, yeah. And so, so not only are they naming themselves after this Nehemiah 5, but also I would think that they are walking in knowing that God will comfort them and God will be with them as they do this kind of community organizing and working and um, calling to action and pulling together to um, try to make a real change in the world, which is amazing and great because we all know when there's a lot of us doing one thing, many voices are better than one. Um, so, okay. And then what happens in chapter six and seven? That's what we were trying to they get. They finished the wall in 52 days. 52 days. Yeah. Um, y'all, your church had a, a building project a couple years ago. I'm yeah, sure that took longer than more 52 than 52 days. days. Um, that's and I think about amazing work. <laughs> what this made me think of is right. When I lived in Houston, my neighborhood was flooded and there were people, I mean, it was a lot longer than 52 days before houses were rebuilt. Oh, yeah. And so here they build this whole wall. They start to rebuild the city and they're done. Right. The wall's done. And next week we'll talk about what happens next. But that's kind of it is, you know, they weep, they pray. They they pray longer than they work. Right. Like Nehemiah prayed for four months or whatever. And they finished the wall in two yeah, and you know what's interesting too is that it feels very important to say like the wall was finished on the twenty fifth day of the month in fifty two days, and when all the enemies heard of all of it, and the nations round about us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that the work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Never did they stop praising God. Never did they stop knowing that God was a part of it. So they wanted to clearly put like the time. So we know it's recorded how fast this happened in 52 days on this 25th day of the month. But also do not forget with the help of God, you know? And I think we so often forget that, don't we? We so often forget that. Well, I'm excited about next week where Alan and I will be wearing the same clothes. Um, And finishing out the rest of Nehemiah. So, and for St. Martin's folks who listen, uh, check in next week because very dear friend, Reverend Paula, is going to be joining us. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. We can't wait. So, listeners, as always, we love you, but most importantly, God does. <laughs> <laughs>